I was devastated, honestly. It really sent me into a spiral of just a really dark place, darker than it even had been the first time around where I just felt like, you know, why am I trying so hard? Like I'm fighting this every day. I'm fighting a dialogue in my head and I've got two kids and I just, I can't, I can't do it anymore. You know, if I'm never even going to get better, what's the point? Today's guest talks about finding hope and walking victoriously, getting over her eating disorder, but really transforming her thinking. That is really the heart of this. She learned through changing the way she thinks, focusing on God and walking in his power, she could overcome a seven-year struggle with an eating disorder and now help other people in their struggle. I hope you're encouraged by the conversation with Jennifer as she talks about the journey that she's been on. On Life Repurposed, you'll find a blend of practical wisdom and biblical inspiration that's designed to help you navigate everyday life with faith, purpose, and hope. We focus on personal and spiritual growth with a range of topics from improving your relationships and discovering your purpose to setting and achieving goals, plus tools and resources to help you live your repurposed life. I'm your host, Michelle Rayburn, the author of books and Bible studies about finding hope in the trashy stuff of life. Jennifer Smith Lane is the co-founder of the Michigan Eating Disorders Alliance, whose mission is to provide education programs to prevent eating disorders. In addition to her nonprofit work, she has written an award-winning Bible study birthed out of her own struggle with an eating disorder to help others on their recovery journey and empower them to find freedom in Christ. Presently, Jennifer works as an eating disorder recovery coach with Kristen Hagelin's Virtual Transitional Living Program for Eating Disorders. However, she enjoys most her role as mom to her three children. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I love chatting before we came on now and started recording it. I feel like I could talk to you all day. And I sense that you might be, are you introverted? Yes. I am too, but I'm a little more talkative, so people don't think I'm introverted. But it's always fun when two introverts get together and find something they have in common and they start talking. So I shared with Jennifer a little laugh this morning about how I mistook her for a different Jennifer with the same last name. (laughs) And they're both writers, so that's really funny. Anyway, Jennifer and I have a connection through a writer's group for Christian women that we're both part of. And This message came, well, I put out a message saying I had released a book, and then I got this message back from Jennifer saying that she loved the topic, and it turns out we both have a love for transformation and repurposing. So Jennifer, I'd love to know how you got interested in that or where this connection started. (laughs) Well, I um, just from my own story, and when I saw your title, um, with the RE words, that has been something when I study scripture has been something for a while now that I just mm-hmm. feel like the Lord's been highlighting for me when I study. And so I've been keeping a list of all the different places that I see these RE words. Um, there's so many. There's so many. And it's so encouraging just to see. And then also looking at the opposite side of like how Satan's got a lot of the D words, you know, and so it's more like disappointment and despair and discouragement and deceit. And then the RE words from God are like, 
you know, refuge and renew and restore, repurpose and, you know, all these. So it's exciting. I just love the contrast. And so that's why when I saw your title, it just really struck me like, oh, I have to read that. And we're not the only ones fascinated with it because there are other books out there like that. And I love it because it brings each person brings a new perspective. So as I was looking through your book, Transformed, which you did not go with an RE title, but you use a lot of RE words in there. I could just see a lot of things that were like, yes, yes, yes. Those things that you celebrate from scripture. Yes. Well, and actually, when I was writing Transformed, I was studying, um, Second Timothy, and there's just a lot of en words, mm-hmm. and so I use a lot of en words in my study. Like each heading of the, of kind of in the format of the book, each heading has an en each day of the week, or you know, it's a five day yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. As an en word heading, and so that's kind of I was kind of in that frame of mind when I was writing that, and then I kind of moved on to the re words after that was coming along. So anyway. The word transformed is also one that I really love because mm-hmm. it it just it's this before and after concept mm-hmm. and scripture is so full of that. So we're going to talk about that a little bit more, but I would love to know a little bit about your background growing up. Did you grow up going to church or were you in a family of faith? Yes, I was. I grew up in a strong Christian home and um, very rooted and grounded in um, the faith. And my parents were just um beautiful examples of uh, what it looks like to live a Christian life. And so I was very fortunate and I, you know, I didn't realize how fortunate I was, you know, until you kind of grow up and see how things are different because that's just what you think is normal. (laughs) And so, uh, yeah, I had, I just had a great um, upbringing and uh, really gave me the foundation that I needed uh, moving forward. And um, so that when the trials came um, that I always had that foundation um, in Christ, even though it was hard, mm-hmm. um, I, I did have that to stand on. So I'm grateful for that. Did you leave home right after high school? I, I did. I went to college. I went to Hope College, and that was a, a wonderful experience as well, enriching my faith. And then um, after I graduated, I was a French and education major. And so I decided to spend some time living in France, um, working on my master's in French and um living with some uh, missionaries there and teaching English in a French school. So I did a variety of different things. Um, But yeah, it was really, that was kind of my first time really far away from home and uh, really forced me to, you know, rely in new ways on God. And I was really stretched and, you know, going from a place that was um, a thriving Christian environment to (laughs) a primarily atheist country where I was on my own. um, It was really hard. And uh, so I would say that was kind of where things started for me in terms of um, a testing time of my faith. When I went off to college, um, I went to a secular college, and that was sort of my first venture outside of the Christian bubble for me as well. So um, what kinds of challenges did you have to your faith during that time? Um, I would say just... From that time on, I I had a wonderful experience um, in France. Um, I was so loved by the French people who really took care of me like their own. And I had a wonderful experience, but it was, it was a time of me sort of, you know, really that making your faith your own kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And, um, but it was tough, you know, to not, to kind of be forging my own path without the support um, of the community of, of believers. And so it was hard. It was a really lonely time. Um, 
And then when I came back, uh, it was, you know, a lot had changed and, uh, you know, life wasn't the same when I came back and I had changed and back home had changed. And so kind of just figuring that out again. And then I met someone and we met and married in nine months. So it went really fast. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of changes, um, sort of new relationship coming back to a lot of change there. Um, I moved, I started a new job. I graduated from college. You know, I mean, there was just like, yeah. Um, I did my student teaching. There's just all these kind of things that were that were changing, and that that was really hard for me. And this relationship that I was in, um, you know, he was a lot different than um, my parents were. Where, for example, if you know, if there's a list of ten things to do, and I did nine, my parents would be like, "Wow, we're so proud of you! Like, you did such a great job, and like, wow, you accomplished a lot." And my husband would say, "Ah, you know." what about number 10? I really needed you to do that one. Mm. And so just his way of communicating, mm -hmm. I didn't realize it at the time, but it was just so opposite than what I was used to this kind of affirming. And he was more just like task oriented and wanted to, you know, just focused on like what needed to get done instead of kind of, and didn't kind of grow up in a culture where it was, you know, you praised for what you mm -hmm. accomplished and that sort of thing. And so just the way he communicated, even though he didn't intend for it to be unkind, I just started to feel like I was a failure mm. and, um, and it just kind of fed a lot of lies that I had maybe picked up along the way of feeling that, you know, I wasn't good enough or, you know, I needed to prove that I was worth it or, um, that, you know, my, the love was conditional and it wasn't anything that I was getting from the people who loved me. It was just what I felt I needed to have, you know, or I felt like, well, if, if I disappoint them or if I mess up, you know, then, then they might reject me or they might not love me anymore. And so I just needed, I really focused on, even in my Christian walk on what I did and didn't do, you know, I was very focused on, I was like a Pharisee, you know, I was keep upholding the law. I can relate. <laughs> and so I, I looked, you know, like a, a model Christian, but I didn't have the personal relationship that was not that wasn't as strong. It was more sort of based on what I did and didn't do. So when I went to college and beyond, that was the time when my personal relationship with God really blossomed because, you know, a lot of those other things were kind of stripped away and mm -hmm. uh, forced me to really rely on him. And when in the midst of all these changes happening, I got so focused on keeping everybody okay with all the changes and like helping them through all the changes that I kind of didn't take care of myself very well. Mm -hmm. I started, I started to lose weight. And I, you know, and I, cause I was just like so focused on everybody else and making them okay. And I just wanted everything to stay the same because everything was changing and I didn't know how I felt about that. And it was this whole new way of relating to somebody that was kind of shaking me. And I didn't, um, you know, I just didn't know how to manage all of it. And so I developed an eating disorder and the relationship itself ended up becoming one that was, wasn't healthy. It was toxic. And so, um, you know, my way of sort of like coping with that was, um, an eating disorder. And I didn't even realize that that's what was happening. I didn't set out to have an eating mm -hmm. disorder. I wasn't focused on sort of like my appearance and, you know, it was, it was just sort of my way of trying to keep things the same. And I wanted, like, I got a lot of praise when I lost a little bit of weight. And people were like, wow, you know, what you do, you look, you look great. You know, I thought like, oh, I, 
did I look bad before? Really? Yes, I've I said you know, the like, same thing. Wait, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, like I don't, I, okay. You know, and gosh, you know, if, if this is another way that I sensed I could be rejected or unloved, I was like, well, I better make sure that I don't gain weight back. So in my efforts to stay the same, I ended up restricting and losing um, weight so, to the point where I was, you know, I was emaciated and I, and I was really sick and I didn't, I was in denial and, and minimizing, you know, uh, all that was kind of going on. And so, um, when I did start to get help, it was actually, our church was doing a season of sort of like fasting for the month of January and was just maybe sort of different things that would help us each week to sort of draw closer to the Lord. And yeah, I, I, I had somebody say, well, I don't think you should fast food. I think, you know, like, I think your ministry should be to eat. And I was kind of like, whoa, you know, and then it kind of all kind of broke out, like, you know, you know, in terms of how people were worried about me and, um, you know, and that, you know, things had gotten to that kind of thing. And so then I felt like, again, I was a failure because mm. in my efforts to please, <laughs> right, then I had failed. Mm. And so anyway, that did drive me to get help. And I was a very motivated patient. And so I did, was able to restore uh, weight quickly in treatment, but that was just the beginning because restoring, you know, sort of my physical body, it did take a long time to kind of heal that relationship with food emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. And so that took about another seven years of treatment, um, intensive treatment at times. And I had two kids during that time. And, uh, you know, it was really, uh, difficult. My husband was a surgeon and he was in residency and working, you know, extremely long hours. And, and I, I realized when my kids were maybe three and a half and one and a half that, uh, my treatment team had said, Hey, you know, you have really been working hard and you're like 95% better. And we're so proud of you. But right now we're kind of in that, like, managing the last 5% because it's never going to go away. So you just need to how to learn how to manage it um, moving forward. And I thought, wait, what do you mean it's not going to go mm-hmm. away? Like, I thought that's like what we were doing mm-hmm. here. And they were like, yeah, what just eating disorders, you know, we just don't believe that you can, you ever live without them. You're just, you have less symptoms or you're able to control the behaviors and the urges. And when I heard that, I was devastated, honestly. Yeah. It really sent me into a spiral of, just a really dark place, darker than it even had been the first time around where I just felt like, you know, why am I trying so hard? Like I'm fighting this every day. I'm fighting a dialogue in my head and I've got two kids and I just, I can't, I can't do it anymore. You know, if I'm never even going to get better, what's the point? And so I felt really hopeless. I felt Mm -hmm. like there wasn't hope for recovery. You know, I was just going to live with this rest of my life. And I just went to a really dark place. My thoughts got darker and darker. And, you know, I don't think I ever really considered taking my life, but I was in the place where I just didn't see a point to my life. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't see a purpose for me here uh, on earth. And, um, you know, I was starting to scare myself with how dark my thoughts had gotten. And so I had reached out to a um, uh, somebody that was a chaplain um, at uh, the school I went to um, and we had kept in touch. And I just said, you know, hey, I... I'm kind of scaring myself here with what's going on. Can you just pray for me? And um, she prayed for me. And that kind of started a chain sort of reaction of events that happened where I just felt like the Lord exposed, you know, kind of these deep rooted lies that I had been been believing that were keeping me stuck. 
And um, once I was able to see them, recognize them for what they were, replace them with truth and go through that process, that was the healing process I needed spiritually. Mm -hmm. And I had felt really kind of abandoned by, I don't even think it's fair to say that because it's not really what happened. I had so many people that loved me, but I wanted somebody to be my knight in shining armor and come in and rescue me and make it all better. Yeah, Um, But that didn't happen. And I'm grateful it didn't happen because that made me realize that only God could rescue me. Mm -hmm. And so in that time of healing, when I, when God sort of It was like he turned on a light in a dark room and exposed the things that were there. And finally, I could see them and recognize them and deal with them. Um, When I going through this process, the Lord began to transform my heart and my mind. He he transformed um, the way I was thinking, the way I saw myself, the way what I was believing to be true. Um, He he just helped me to see, um, you know, who he is and the truth of who he is and that he's enough and that and that I'm enough. And these are all things that were really hard for me to believe. Mm-hmm. And over time, the the thoughts just began to dissipate. The urges to engage in the behaviors just went away, you know, slowly. It wasn't like an overnight kind of thing. But as the Lord began to transform me and transform my heart, uh, it happened. And so that was 15 years ago. Wow. And um, it has never come back. And so I, I have been had the opportunity to go back to some of my treatment professionals, even 10 years <laughs> later and, and talk with them. And they'll saying, wow, you know, we that's that's amazing because we just don't usually see that, you know, and um, it's an opportunity for me to share because I didn't do it. God did yes. it. And it was, you know, yes, I had experts who helped me restore, you know, the address, the physical, the emotional and the mental pieces. But the spiritual piece was the piece that was, you know, preventing me from experiencing lasting freedom. And I could do behavior modification, but when you don't address the root, which our heart at the root, you know, if you're not really addressing and having transformation there, you're just going to grow or have fruit that is going to be reminiscent. Maybe the behavior is not exactly the same, but it's going to be reminiscent of the same thing. And so that's kind of what I had been experiencing. It's almost as if the treatment becomes its own form of restriction because now you have these new rules and this new framework and you have a new thing to do perfectly. So it doesn't, it sounds as if it doesn't really ease the pressure until you get to the spiritual component. Well, yeah, you're right. And and just, it's like you have uh, one set of rules that you're replacing for a new set of rules. But Mm -hmm. when you struggle with the eating disorder, you like rules. Rules give you structure. They give you a framework. They give you kind of like the guardrails to hold on to. But, you know, God gives us rules, but you know, it's, he didn't, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, yes, there's legalism, you know, or laws for us to follow, but if we follow it like legalism, you know, that's not going to save us either. Jesus is the one that saves us and his grace is immeasurable. So how do you, how do you navigate that when you can't, you know, part of the eating disorder is you can kind of see how you did that day. Did you measure up? You know, it's kind of a measure of how you're doing. And in God's grace, there's no measure. You're enough just like you are. And so um, that's like revolutionary kind of thinking. And that was the thing that I needed to change because you're right. The behavior modification did help me get better, Mm -hmm. but it only could do so much. Thank you for sharing that vulnerable part of your journey. Uh, I think there's a listener out there who can relate in perhaps the exact same way or a different way, because you talk about an eating disorder. I've been looking at disordered eating, which is, you know, a little different term, but 
um, I, I've realized how much of my life, um, I'm 53 right now, how much of my life has been spent in disordered eating because of either restricting or following a rigid plan. And also deep down when I really looked at it, it was like this substitution for like thinking God, you know, I, I had to admit to myself, I'm acting as if I believe God will love me more if right. I honor him, I'm putting that in quotes, in this way. And yeah. so you've turned this into a ministry of helping other people. When did you first realize that it wasn't just your story, but this would be something that could help other people be transformed? Yeah, that's a great question. So I want to say about a year after um, sort of my experience of sort of that that phone call where I just kind of started the healing process, uh, we moved to a, a new city. And I really felt compelled at that point. The the National Eating Disorders Association had been starting to organize these like fundraising awareness walks. And I just kind of came across it and I just really felt led to, to do that. And so I was in a new city. And so I kind of made some connections and we ended up planning one kind of last minute. And uh, we did it again the following year. But what I what I found out or what I realized meant the most to me was the one-on-one conversations that I was able to have with people when I was doing it. And I really, you know, there was a lot of publicity around it, you know, and I was not excited about going public with my story or having other people know. And uh, the city I moved to was about 45 minutes from my hometown. And so I kind of thought like, yeah, I'm good. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't, (laughs) you know, Um, but I really felt like the Lord was encouraging me to do that. And, um, you know, I have to say that I started to realize I was so afraid to share, embarrassed, ashamed, all those things. And the, every time I share, and even now, every time I share my story, I do feel a little freer. So it did begin a healing process for me to be able to be vulnerable about it and not experience rejection, abandonment, all those kinds of things that I had always grown up fearing. The reverse honestly happened as I started to share more and more people came to me saying, wow, like because I was able to be vulnerable, then they felt like they could trust me with what they're going through. Mm-hmm. And so I met more and more people and and I it was just I felt so honored that people would share their stories with me and trust me with what was going on that I, I wanted to meet with them. But I had just had my third child and it was tough to meet with people. And so um, I had started up a nonprofit to do education prevention in schools, but then I just really felt like the Lord was asking me to tell the story of what he did, like testifying about his transformative work that he'd done in my life. And so these people were coming forward. So I decided to start a support group, you know, because I was a teacher, I wanted to give them tools. I wanted them Mm -hmm. to be able to go away from the time with something that could help them until we met again. But the problem was that I, people would just drop in. And so I might have three, one time I might have 15 another time. And it's really hard to be vulnerable Mm -hmm. with people you don't know. And so we kind of were resetting each time. And I really longed to do more. I wanted to, to teach them and help them and, you know, build on what we were discussing and learning, but the format that I was doing was just difficult. So I had done that for about three years when I was, in a meeting at church on uh, the women's advisory. And there's this beautiful ministry called Apples of Gold that our church uh, runs. And it's just kind of like to help um, women be sort of in their, in their walks with the Lord, especially in the role of wife and mother. 
And, you know, they had this booming ministry of uh, with 15 mentors um, who were pouring into, they do six women at a time. And it was just this beautiful ministry. And I thought, wow, 15 people, like, it's just me. And I have, you know, a hundred or so people who've tried my, my group. And I, you know, I'm kind of feeling overwhelmed with all the stories and what's going on. Maybe I need to pray about my model. And so as I prayed about it, I felt like the Lord just said, take what you're teaching and put it into a study, you know, and, and, and I just felt like he was leading me to do a defined beginning and end period. Um, you know, have somebody help me with sort of the prayer and care needs. And so, um, that was like the, my first draft of transformed. I wrote it as a supplement to my teaching and I, um, you know, I didn't write it as a study. I just wrote it kind of as what I was going to be using to teach it. And, and I taught that for like another three years. And every time I taught it, there were different topics that might come up or things that really needed to be addressed, or I might have, you know, had things I thought were really important that it wasn't that important. Whereas other things really, you know, blossomed to become the root of what people really wanted to know about or talk about. And so I was able to kind of rewrite and, you know, remap and, you know, all these different kinds of things for the next couple of years and putting it into the format that it is now, which is a 12 week Bible study uh, with five days of work, kind of a week where you look at the underlying things that are keeping you stuck in eating and body image issues. Mm-hmm. So uh, we address everything from, you know, fear, lies, discontentment, perfectionism, shame, um, legalism, bitterness, isolation. I know I'm forgetting a couple because I haven't gotten <laughs> to 10, but uh, you get the idea. And, you know, the idea with the EN words is sort of just to look at how do we get entangled in these things? Mm-hmm. You know what? And and then how do we learn how to study God's word? How are we enlightened by his word? So there's a past you know, section in there every every week about how to do inductive Bible study. And then, you know, how are we empowered and um, encouraged through personal testimony? And so, you know, hearing other people's stories of their uh, experiences with eating and body image issues. And then, you know, how are we entrusted with what we learn and how we can share it with others? And so that's kind of how it ended up being and becoming the Bible study that it is now. I love that you have all those other stories in there because uh, it it makes you, when you read those, feel like, you know, I'm not alone. It's not just exactly. me. It's not just Jennifer. It's this person also experienced this in a different way. Right. I also like the format that has people exploring the Bible on their own and seeking God because it's one thing for me to have you tell me how it has changed you, but it's another right. for me to now have my turn at looking at it and exploring it and seeing what God says to me. And mm-hmm. it makes me feel as if it's it's real and it's doable because it's not just a formula somebody's handing me, but it's more mm-hmm. of a guide. So I love that part of it. Yeah. Well, and I think also it's funny because you know, every time I teach the study, I, I do the lessons over again. And it's the Lord always has something new to show me, you know, and I'll think to myself, did I write that boy, I need to work on that. Or, you know, I mean, because, because, you know, this was a guide. And this is the things that I felt I needed to address to find the lasting freedom um, in Christ that I did. And I want to help other people walk through it. But I'm certainly haven't arrived yet. <laughs> I still have things that I, I might be a little bit further ahead in the journey, but I still have a lot of things to, to work on myself. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's layers to everything. And so, you know, just, um, I just, it's, 
it's um, a gift to me to be able to help walk other people through because it actually teaches me more about things I need to learn as well. So mm-hmm. I, I, that's I really, the beauty of teaching yeah, in any yeah. capacity is that you're learning. People don't realize how much, even if you're prepping to speak for something, how much you learn in that so process. True. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love that. Have you had feedback from people who have gone through the study now and have shared with you how it's changed them? Yeah, I, I've I've got, I mean, nothing but positive feedback. Maybe the negative I just don't hear. Yeah. <laughs> I don't but um, no, I think um, I think generally what people feel like is, first of all, like, wow, there just isn't anything like this to help me figure out what does, because with other, you know, sort of like addictions that could be like alcoholism or drugs or whatever, there's certain things where you can just cut it out of your life. Mm-hmm. But with food and with body image, it's something that you have to learn how to have a a relationship with. And so, you know, and how do you do that in a godly way? Mm-hmm. And so I think that people have really appreciated that perspective and feeling like that is something that really helped them in treatment, especially, you know, or at in addition to treatment. And then um, I think just feeling like they're not alone, you know, and that this is, and that there's um, a guide that the way it's written, you it's, it's written, you can do it by yourself or you can do it with a group and, mm-hmm. you know, just doing it with a group of people. And like you said, being able to just share, like, this is what I'm thinking and this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm processing. And then for somebody else to say, wow, yeah, me too. I, I, I didn't know that, you know, I thought I was crazy that I thought this way or something was wrong with me. And, and just finding that sort of community and connection, but with the focus of the talk being over kind of what God's showing you, not necessarily what behaviors you're struggling with, but what sort of like, what's God showing you or what's he revealing to you that you sort of, it's rooted in, like, what is this behavior rooted in? Is it rooted in bitterness and unforgiveness? Is it of yourself? Is it of somebody else? Is it you know, I mean, kind of saying like, that's really where, what drives me to engage in this behavior. And so I think that, you know, like anything, when we look at the roots of things, that's when we really can find um, change. I think there's an assumption that if you're struggling with disordered eating or a dis- eating disorder, that it's rooted in um, wanting to look a certain way or like... Right body image culture. And I, you know, you shared in the first part of our chat here today, how that wasn't really the route for you. And I think for me, that's the case too. There's layers to it. And so there's an assumption that if you were caught up in extreme tracking or, you know, for me personally, and I would say this is my personal journey because I don't want to have other people feel bad. But um, for me personally, I realized that dieting became an idol itself. Like I had been always taught that food was the idol and I had to avoid it. And so if I did these things, I was honoring God. And then I realized that actually the things I was doing, they were just obsessive. Like I need to know what's in every label and I need to like track macros and I have to be perfectly balanced on all those things. Mm -hmm. So, um, Talk a little bit about the fact that we maybe have that impression that it's all about body and bikinis and stuff like that. Right. No, I I mean, I think that can always play a part. I think everybody has Mm -hmm. some level of body dissatisfaction, um, which is only sort of magnified by like all of our exposure to social media or media in general. But I think, you know, what drives us to the behaviors, you know, I think 
it's, it's so much deeper than that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, most people who struggle with eating and body image, and when I say eating and body image, you don't necessarily have to have a diagnosed clinical eating disorder, but it's about that your relationships disordered. And you mentioned sort of idols. And so, you know, anything that we put on the throne above God is an idol. Mm -hmm. And so it could be insecurity, you know, it Mm -hmm. could be feeling, you know, worthless or people pleasing or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. you know, and, um, and, or it could be dieting, you know, any of those things uh, that we put in front of God. But the fact is that eating disorders are complex, emotional, mental, and physical health problems that, you know, manifest themselves in this way that is of, you know, eating disordered eating. But yeah, like I said, what drives us to the behaviors, I mean, many people have experienced a lot of brokenness, um, whether it's of their own doing or someone did to them, you know, lots of abuse mm-hmm. of all kinds, um, you know, tragic stories of what they've experienced or uh, brokenness. And, you know, that that's really left them vulnerable. And, you know, I like to describe the eating disorder as the worst kind of cheater. You know, it promised it promised this solution. It promised happiness. It promised, but it just ended up, you just end up enslaved to it because the world sort of promotes sort of that this healthy lifestyle, right? And so this pursuit of health, which can be an idol as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but the truth is God didn't design food to be a stumbling block. He designed it to be a blessing. Mm. And so, you know, how do we receive that as a blessing from God? And how do we accept ourselves in this earth suit that God's given us? Mm-hmm. And they are, all of ours look different yeah. and God made it that way, right? It would be a pretty boring world if we all looked the same, but how do we embrace and accept who we are and who God made us to be all of us, you know, inside and outside. And how do we have a relationship with our world that, and the things in it, food included, um, and, and our place in it. And, and I think that, you know, God didn't intend for it to be uh, a difficult place. You know, he intended it to be a blessing to us. And so I think that's, you know, part of, you know, thinking through those kinds of things is important as well. So have you experienced a time when something has activated an old emotion? Some people use the word trigger, but some counselors like to talk about activating emotions. And if you have, what do you do differently now that doesn't immediately lead you down a path that heads towards an eating disorder? Yeah, no, that's a great, that's a great question. And I think, um, you know, part of what happened when I feel like God was really working on transforming my heart um, and exposing sort of those lies, when those old uh, feelings, emotions, urges come up again, um, I'm able to see that now for what it is. It doesn't mean it's not hard. It doesn't mean that it's still not like a frustration or a difficulty, but I can look at it now and recognize that it's a lie and recognize as well that it's not the answer to my problems. (laughs) You know, Satan's not creative and he likes to bring back old things that have tripped you up before. And so when that happens, just recognizing that that's just the strategy of the enemy and and, you know, and and viewing it that way and praying about it that way and, you know, doing the things that I know to do that I've learned how to do where I can sort of just act opposite or counteract sort of those thoughts and feelings and sort of ride it out. And uh, generally, the Lord is kind where it doesn't 
you know, last that long. It's just, it's almost that it's become a technique that's I'm not as vulnerable to, I guess I could say. And I know what to do with that. It doesn't mean that I still don't have struggles or that I still don't have things that happen that trip me up that may not even, you know, trigger a disordered eating thought, but it may manifest itself in a, in a different way. But Mm -hmm. still the point is, is sort of addressing it, like getting to that place where you fully believe that God is sovereign and that he is working out all things for her good. And that, you know, the, the sense of control I might get from this urge or behavior, I really don't have a lot of control over much, but I do have control over myself and how I respond to it. And so I want to respond by turning to the Lord. And, and that's really the point of the study is I can't save you from an eating disorder, but God can. And how do you turn to God for rescue in the moment um, through a spiritual discipline or something along those lines that can help you in that moment? And so that's the time when I would reach for a spiritual discipline as well to sort of help me through it. So the study is called Transformed Eating and Body Image Renewal God's Way. Jennifer, where can people find you online to connect with you? It's jennifersmithlane.com. Okay, so that will be in the show notes. As we wrap up today, Jennifer, I'd like to address our listener directly. If you have a word of encouragement for somebody who's struggling, I'd just love to hear what you'd have to say to her. Okay. Yeah, I would say if you're struggling with eating and body image issues, just know that you're not alone and that there is hope. There's hope for healing. There's hope for freedom. There's hope for rescue. And, um, you know, I'm living proof that it's possible. And I would just encourage you to take that step to ask for help and um, seek out a trusted friend and share with them what's going on. And, um, you know, just really evaluate what kind of resources you might need and that you are worth it. You are worth working on this and not avoiding it. I I am the first to say I uh, would rather not and I didn't want to, but um, <laughs> but I just want to encourage you to pursue that and that and just know that you're not alone and that God loves you and that he loves you just how he made you. You're his masterpiece. Um, as Ephesians 2.10 would say. And so, yeah. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. I know I've been blessed and I know that my listeners will be too. So I appreciate your heart and the way that you are taking this message of transformation to people who so desperately need to hear there's hope when somebody in the medical profession or somewhere else has told them there is no hope. So thank you for sharing that. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. You'll find the show notes to this episode at michellerayburn.com slash 152. And there I will link to Jennifer's book and anything else we talked about in this episode. Thank you so much for being here and I'll see you again next time. You've been listening to Life Repurposed. If you'd like bonus resources sent to your inbox each week, be sure to sign up at michellerayburn.com 